morning, Albat. Hey, Albat. It's Lisa Kay. How are you doing? Hi, Lisa. It's good to talk to you. Hey, it's good to talk to you. I hope you had a wonderful Christmas. We did. We did. It was a really quiet Christmas. How about you? Uh, we had, I think, 97 of them. We just, uh, <laughs> man, it was one of those years where somebody said, oh, we can only be there on Sunday. Can we have something on Sunday? And so I got to eat like there was, it was an amazing bout of uh, of food that came through. And I love almond bark. We all have that weakness. Yeah. Mine is almond bark. Really? What do you have uh, almond bark covered with there? Uh, it's almonds covered with whatever that white stuff is. That's uh, the almond bark. So you just like yeah. almonds. Okay. All right. I get it. Sometimes we put pretzels in it. I think we did some um, Ritz crackers with peanut butter spread in the middle of them, and you make a little sandwich like an Oreo, and then you dip that in the chocolate almond bark. So good. You can tell how much I know about cooking there by saying, yeah, well, it's almonds covered with white stuff. Oh, man. Well, you, well, well, let's talk about stuff you know about then. I sent you some pictures earlier from my yard where I finally, finally, I know this is going to be like totally not interesting to some people, but it, I have not been able to get blue jays in my yard. And we've talked about this, I think, for a couple of years. I finally saw one. Yeah, that was pretty neat, and uh, I'm looking at a blue jay right now because I put out some peanuts, and uh, <laughs> so then I am their their best friend on earth when I put out peanuts for them. They just love peanuts, and uh, I know I've mentioned this a lot. I'll put out peanuts, and I, I walk around. I don't see a blue jay anywhere. I put out peanuts, and by the time I'm back in the house, there's a mini flock of blue jays there already getting those peanuts. So they are somewhere watching at all times. Well, and I'm hoping that they continue to watch me because I noticed when I was watching out the window, I saw about six of them. And um, they would trade places with the crows. I had a couple of crows who were doing, I have a feeder. I I put them just like you told me about one of the hanging feeders for the peanuts. And then the crows seemed to like, um, I put them in, it's a feeder that stakes into the ground and it's like a dish, almost like, I think it's supposed to be a bird bath of sorts, but I put bigger food in there. Um, So I've been putting the peanuts in there and these crows have been coming and doing like parkour moves to knock the peanuts off of the dish onto the ground. One will wait on the ground and the other one will fly up and hit the dish with its feet and peanuts will fall on the ground and then the other crow will pick them up or... They'll figure out how to land, and I think the photo I sent you is I had a crow that had about three or four peanuts shoved in its mouth, and <laughs> yeah. I said it's a it's an all you can eat buffet, not all you should eat, but <laughs> they are so pretty crows. They're uh, they're beautiful. It's it's the uh, blue jays. You know, blue doesn't do them justice. Just uh, there, uh, there's so many different colors in the bird. But mm-hmm. you, if you made them more descriptive, the name of the blue jay would be um, 79 words long, and we wouldn't be able to have room to write it down anywhere. Right. So uh, they are just—they're uh, both members of the corphid family, which means that they are—they're the smart but mischievous kids <laughs> in school. So they're the ones that just need to be up to something at right. all times in well, order. To, to keep them, uh, uh, just keep them coming to school, I guess. I noticed that the crows would come, the blue jays would take off, and then the crows would fly away, and all within like a 30-minute time span, the blue jays return, 
And then when the crows decided it was time to come back, they'd come back, get more peanuts, the Blue Jays would leave. So they weren't sharing feeders. No, 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 it's, it's hard to share. It's just, <laughs> uh, you know, they have that pecking order thing going on, so it's just real hard to be there at the same time because if somebody uh, comes in that's above you in the pecking order, then you have to leave. So you try to find a place where you are. You're the king or the queen for a while, so you can come in there and feed to your heart's content. Yeah, now I have to fill to my heart's content because everything's empty once again. But Well, that's good. That's <laughs> a good problem. It okay. is good. How do I tell if those crows are male or female? I mean, I saw about six of them out there along with six blue jays that I counted. Yeah, and the crows are probably a family, so it's probably mom and dad and uh, six young ones. Oh, okay. And there are uh, regional differences. Uh, so individuals can vary in size, but it, it's nearly impossible, at least for me, to tell male and female crows apart. The only way to really differentiate between them is if they're perched close together when a slight difference in size might be detected. Mm. And so males are generally larger than females. We have a yard, a turkey, a hen turkey has adopted us, and she just she's out there all the time. And she can run 25 miles an hour, fly 55 miles an hour, and one of her uh, her, her great joy in life, I, I said it's her hobby, is chasing crows. <laughs> and the crows, of course, to them it's like a game. So we have six, just like you, and they land in the yard. They land by her. She chases them. They fly <laughs> up into a tree. She flies up in the tree to chase them around. But one of those crows is much larger than the other five. So okay. he, uh, I'm guessing it's his dad, and he is, he just, and he looks so much bigger when he's off by himself, but when you get them all together, you can still see he's a bit bigger. But our, uh, the turkey here, uh, my wife is named Tula, Aww. and just uh, her, she loves chasing them, she'll <laughs> chase squirrels. She'll even chase the starlings when there gets to be too many of them. She just finally decides that they need to break up. They're congregating where they shouldn't be, shouldn't be loitering. Uh-huh. So she will go chase them too. So it's it's neat to see her, and I know I'm giving human characteristics to them, but you know sometimes we do that. It helps us understand. Yeah, sometimes it's kind of fun to make up a little story, and and hopefully it that it's nice to know that that was a family in my yard. How about cardinals? Though I haven't seen any cardinals. Um, in a while, I, I took a photo of a couple of them that were there, and then I, I haven't seen any since. It's, uh, I have a neighbor who says that he has not seen any cardinals in his yard since this summer. He hmm. said, I had all kinds of them this summer, and now I have none. I didn't tell him that I have a bunch here because I probably have some of his, and I, I'm not going to give them back till summer. Uh, by late summer, when nesting is over for the cardinals and the cardinals relax the defense of their territorial boundaries, the birds sing less and then they form into flocks. And they don't migrate, but they can expand their range while foraging for food. So they might move uh, across the street. Mm. They determine where to spend the winter, and the flocks are ever-changing. It's dependent on weather and available resources. But uh, I told him, I said, if you continue to offer food and water, they're likely to make return visits. And again, I didn't tell him that I had them. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, they're all, uh, maybe your house is, maybe you're feeding better food. 
<laughs> you know, I don't know. I, I, who knows? You know, with a lot of things in life, sometimes it's just the luck of the draw. Yeah. Things work out, and we have no real explanation why. So getting that good hand. And now back to the Blue Jays, another question that I have about those, because you told me to feed them peanuts, but they also eat the sunflower seeds, right? Oh, they love sunflower seeds. Yeah, they sure do. They'll eat many things. And how come they? How can they take so many? Because I know you said the peanuts they'll like take one and, and take it back somewhere else. But yeah, and each time I do a talk, somebody will uh, mention. I said, "Well, I'm feeding the blue jays, and they come in, and they just they swallow one sunflower seed after another, and people count them. I think one lady told me uh, the twenty-one kernels of corn or oh, something hi. one swallowed. They have a throat sack, and it's called a gular pouch. G U L A R. Hmm. And they can fill that, and then they they get them all in there, get this huge pouch, and then they fly away and they cough up the seeds later somewhere in a secure spot where they feel safe. And then they'll either eat them on the spot or they'll cash them for later. They'll cash them for that. You know, they we're supposed to save for a rainy day. Well, uh, nuthatches, chickadees, squirrels, blue jays, they all save for that wintry, cold, blustery, m- miserable day. Mm-hmm. So then they don't have to worry about food. So uh-huh. that's the, the reason they do that. And it, it looks like you watch them, and we all have somebody in the family that can eat like that. And we just think, <laughs> uh, where do they put it? And Maybe it's me. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, it's, they're, they're just amazing birds. And, and every bird is. The more I learn about them, the more I'm more amazed I am by them. Well, you mentioned chickadees and saving the food. So the chickadees don't migrate at all? They do not, and thank goodness. I love that. I've told everybody I think I know that chickadees are my favorite bird, and mm-hmm. I love seeing them. And every day I see a chickadee, I feel blessed. Uh, I need them here with me. That's why they don't <laughs> migrate. Uh, chickadees think only wimpy birds fly south, and they're non-migratory. They're year-round residents throughout the, their range. You know, just think, it takes a lot of energy for a bird to migrate. It takes us a lot of energy to migrate anywhere. Mm-hmm. Talking to friends, we all have them, that they're not meant to be Minnesotans, so when winter is uh, just there's just rumors of winter. They get out of here. They go to Texas, Florida, California, Arizona, somewhere. And it all the energy they go through, because they got to make sure everything's taken care of here, everything goes down there, everything's in the car, or they get on the plane. It's just, there's a lot of energy. But the chickadees, it again, it takes a lot of energy to migrate, but they need food to stay home. So chickadees are good at finding food, and they work overtime at it. It's their full-time job this time of year. Find food, find food, find food. And they cache food, again, like blue jays, to eat later. And they're opportunistic feeders. Hmm. They eat between meals. They snack like crazy. (laughs) They have amazing memories, and they wear jackets, just like their mom said. They fluff up their feathers for insulation. That's Uh like us putting on a jacket. And chickadees are meant to be here, so they figure out how to get what they need. 
they make do and they get by. They always have, and I'm so thankful for their company. Well, it's nice to have them around, especially oh. in the wintertime. Even though we're having unseasonably warm uh, temperatures right now, is this affecting birds migrating at all, these these warm temperatures, or do they just know when it's time to go? Or have you? Yeah, been- a lot of uh, migration is according to day length. Not all of it, but a lot of it. Weather can certainly impact it some. So would there, in migration probably goes pretty close to schedule, but will some birds hang around? Why not? They just say, man, this, I'm just going to take it easy here, and the weather turns, and I'm out of here. Uh, I got a call this morning. Somebody is seeing a pelican where there shouldn't be any pelicans. Mm. It's very possible that that pelican is injured or sick or something, but then again, it might just be there because the water is so wide open. So it does have an impact uh, on migration i'd have to say it's slight it has the biggest impact on our birds our resident birds and for those of us that feed birds a lot of folks have been saying there's no there's no birds at my feeders where are they all well they don't need our feeders so much when the weather's nice like this Mm -hmm. and it's open so there's all kinds of food that they can find. They can travel easily. We've got some water, so there's a bit of water out there for them. There's some open water. So it makes it a lot easier for them when we have weather like this. So if, it, if it's uh, daylight affected, do they migrate during the day? Do they need daylight to do it, or do they migrate at night? You know, you think about birds, you think, boy, one day, one eye, for those of us had chickens, we know that their eyesight isn't that great at night. So you think, boy, if our chickens are ever going to migrate, if they learn how to fly a long distance, they're going to do it during the day. And there are certainly some species that migrate during the day, but most, most of our birds migrate at night. And why do they do that? Well, they probably use the stars and the moon to aid uh, their navigation. They're free of daytime thermals, so the atmosphere is more stable, making it easier to maintain a steady course. There's cooler temperatures at night that helps keep birds from overheating. There are fewer predators. Boy, if you're on a you know, fly, there's, just think of all the predators. If you're on the ground, there's cats. In the air, there's hawks. Well, there's fewer of those for those flying under the cover of darkness. So there's all kinds of reasons to fly during the at night. Plus, then you can take time and eat during the day. So oh, you spend sure. your day eating, having some naps, and then you fly. Oh, and Al, somebody was asking about being out trying to see the northern lights a few weeks ago, um, and what they saw were a lot of birds on the highway wanting to know what that was all about. Yeah, and I bet they didn't see the northern lights either, so that's the sad part. I know a lot of them, I I did see some this this year, but it was uh, far north of here. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah, what were the birds doing there? Uh, Well, you know, if you're a bird, you'd say, well, why... I'm not going to sit on the highway. It just doesn't make any sense. (laughs) But the birds might have been looking for the northern lights, too. Who knows (laughs) what they're up to. You know, pavement absorbs heat and holds it. So sometimes birds will land on the roads when the temperature drops. And on a chilly day, I watched a manhole cover in a large city being visited by house sparrows who found warmth there. 
Other temptations are found on roads. There's food. They need to eat grit to help grind up their food. Of course, that's just until they get their teeth. And potholes, cracks, and rumble strips hold water. Uh, when I walk down to the mailbox, I'm just a dew seems to fill those rumble strips. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, pheasants stand on roads in wet weather to keep out of uh, waterlogged grass, and many birds feed at roadsides on spilled grain and wind-blown seeds caught in the vegetation along the edge. But those things happen in the light of day. He wasn't out there. He was out there after midnight. Yeah. Uh, nocturnal owls hunt the roads at night, and they get a clear shot at prey there, but it doesn't sound like it was maybe owls that he saw. Members of the nightjar family fly up from the road to capture flying insects, and the open road gives them good looks at both prey and predators. I've encountered morning doves and horn larks on roads before daybreak. And why the doves are there so late or so early, I don't know. Maybe they forgot to go to bed. <laughs> I have seen uh, <laughs> pigeons there, too. I don't know what they're doing out there in the darkness. I suspect that there are some ground-roosting birds other than the horn larks, snow buntings and lapland longspurs. These guys all roost on the ground. Huh. They could be found there in the dark. Maybe something could have rousted a bird from its preferred parking place, a predator, a raccoon, a fox, something, cause them to fly off and land on a nearby road. But uh, I'm going to chalk this one up to more things to wonder about. So right. Unless we get an ID in those birds, I guess we will probably never know for sure. A couple of questions about uh, vultures. Is a turkey vulture the same thing as a vulture? Yeah, and when I was a kid, we called them buzzards. Okay. Because we never saw them, really. We, it was a rare thing to see one. But it's, uh, yeah, it's uh, buzzards, and there was a, a cartoon about a vulture. I can't remember. Buzz Buzzard. Yeah, I think it was Buzz Buzzard. Buzz, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, and, and do they, because they're on the cartoons and everything, and I suppose in real life you see them circling overhead with if something is is dying or are they waiting to pray or do they wait until something has died or what are they doing uh the dreaded circle of death seen often in cowboy movies and jungle films where some guy is just on his last legs well he's not even on his last legs anymore he's crawling mm-hmm. somewhere and he looks up and he sees those guys and you hear that dun 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 <laughs> it's just kind of the end is like coming. they know uh, turkey vultures really don't circle dying animals waiting for them to go onto the menu. Uh, they <laughs> ride these thermals to travel, and, but they do ride them also to find food. Uh, they would certainly investigate possible prey. Some, uh, oh, I can't remember what researcher came up with this, but he said if there's a, like a deer that's uh, out in the field, one vulture will circle over it for a while to let other ones know that this is this is something really big here. It's more than I can eat, so I need some of you that are my family members, but only my family members, to come here and help me eat it. So they maybe do signal, but they're not out there just saying or counting the moments till you okay. tip over or get out of the canoe or by the farm or whatever any of those other things might be. So <laughs> not really. I got a bad rap there, I guess. Yep. Yeah. Somebody asked about seeing snowy owls at airports. Is that common? You know, it is. And uh, 
oh, you know, most of us don't want to go to the airport. There's just, just oh, especially, <laughs> you know, pick up friends and relatives. Oh, I have to go that, tomorrow or two days from now, and I don't want to go either. No, I was always the guy, well, Alan will pick you up. He doesn't mind going to the airport. Everybody minds going to the airport. <laughs> uh, why are snowy owls there? Well, think about snowy owls. They're accustomed to the Arctic tundra. So they prefer these open, flat areas, which makes it easier to spot their prey. So I've been told forever, you know, well, they go to the airport because it's tundra. Well, you know, it's busy. It's noisy. There's bright lights. There's vehicles everywhere. How can they, how can they mistake that for tundra? Well, it's, it's still kind of a tundra to owls because it's that flat, open area. And that'd be the only reason I could come up with it. It's just a different kind of tundra for them. Mm. And uh, it's a place that they can still hunt things, too, because there's, oh, you know, there's always rats and things up there running around out on the, uh, uh, or the planes take off. So. Oh, okay. I'm going to yeah. have to take a look and see if I see any snowy owls when I go to pick my mom up at the airport in a, a couple of days. That would be really cool <laughs> if you did. I'll try to get a photo if I do, yeah. There you go. Uh, what about mortality rate for songbirds, nestling songbirds? You know, that's a, a tough one. I, for robins, we can say how long they live. You know, they lose like 50% a year or so, and a two-year-old robin is probably about average. But when you take all the songbirds together, some are cavity nesters, some are in the open nest. There's all these various some nests on the roof of a house, maybe. I've seen various references saying for typical perching birds, juvenile mortality in the nest is around 50%. But I I cannot cite a study. I know a year or two ago I tried to find a study. I love those uh, grad students that do all that research and provide bozos like me with all this wonderful information. <laughs> but I can just find their you know how things go. There's just references everywhere. Yeah. 50%. So I guess I'm going to go with that with a caveat that I have been unable to find research showing that amount. And it, I guess it'd be tough to come up with numbers on that because huh. uh, who can study every every passer and sure. every song? Sure, sure. Um, and then somebody wanted to know about another name for a mountain lion because I know that we had... I. And I don't know what it was, but somebody spotted a large cat around here in southern Minnesota in some of the neighborhoods, and that was a concerning thing. Is That's not a mountain lion, is it, or is it? Yeah, and there's uh, 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 folks are nice enough to send me things uh, mostly from trail cams. And, uh, you know, the it used to be there'd just be a little, oh, a little bit of, like, the side of some sort of animal. But now the ones I get are pretty good, and... Uh, for the most part, they are mountain lions, mm. and so we see them here. And uh, research on those has found most of them are young males. They're just they're traveling cats, and they're just looking for for their place in the world. What's another name? Uh, what's a what's a good name for a mountain lion? I would say Ralph or Betty. I don't know why, <laughs> but I would think those would be suitable names. But I doubt they'd come if we called them. Uh, there's a lot of them. Uh, there's cougar. Panther, Puma, Painter, uh, El Leon, uh, uh -huh. Catamount, 
I'm probably missing some, but those are all other handles for the same big cat. For mountain so, lion, okay. Uh, they're they're beautiful. Uh, do I want to see one in my yard? No, no. I don't. Just, uh, <laughs> you know, we've all fought with our own cats, like mm-hmm. taking them to the vet when they mm-hmm. don't want to go, and and they can do you a great amount of damage. That's why we have to wear like welding gloves and welding goggles to take them to the vet. So. Right. Yeah, I don't want to. I, I love seeing cougars. I, I like seeing them uh, out west in places, and they're beautiful, and I like hearing about them, but I, I don't want to see one in my yard. Al Bat on Talk of the Town. We have got one more question, and I'm only assuming this question comes in because it's so warm out. We shouldn't even be thinking about mosquitoes right now, but <laughs> are mosquitoes pollinators? You know, just like we, you know, we don't want to hear anything good about mosquitoes because we don't want to like them. They just, you know, <laughs> they drive us nuts. And just like bees or butterflies, mosquitoes will transfer pollen from flower to flower as the insects feed on nectar. Oh. Are they as good as bees or butterflies? Probably not because they're just tiny little things. But in a female mosquito, she seeks a blood meal for the protein when she lays eggs. But the males feed only on flower nectar and they never bite. So they are pollinators. Again, they are not the prime pollinators, but they feed a lot of other things in this uh, world. So mosquitoes uh, certainly have a place out there, and I guess one of the places they have is uh, biting us. I guess. And and now I, that makes me just think, there are those mosquitoes, they're giant mosquitoes. Are those the males, or, or, or is that a different type of mosquito? Do you know what I'm is talking that- about? There's really big ones. Those might be crane flies, and we will see them in the winter sometimes, and they look like giant mosquitoes. Crane flies. uh, It's like seeing, uh, oh, Goliath or Godzilla or some of those old films. But they're crane flies, and if that's what you're seeing, then that's what I see. So I I can't uh, say that's what you're seeing, too, but I see crane flies, and they look like giant mosquitoes, but they're harmless. And again, we'll see them on warm days in the winter. All of a sudden, you say, what is that mm-hmm. big thing going around? And it, they look like mosquitoes, so they're easily mistaken for a mosquito, only a really, really frightening mosquito. <laughs> like one to say, that thing could suck all my blood yeah, like super Dracula large. in about two minutes. So male and female mosquitoes about the same size then? There's they one. are. They yeah. are. Okay. Oh, well, that's good to know. Man. Yeah, I, I, get to, I get to say to you what I say to everybody else around this time of year. Al, we'll talk to you next year. Oh, you know, if I ruled the world, Lisa, New Year's would begin at 10 instead of midnight. Absolutely. I'm, I'm tired already. <laughs> Thank you so much for your time today. We will check in with you again, and we certainly appreciate the conversation, Al Bapp. Thank you. Happy New Year to you. Happy New Year to everyone. Thank you.